Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Paul says it way more succinctly, like the chapter before, um, but for some reason I really felt drawn to reading this very confusing version of it, because I think a lot of times as Christians, when we start trying to make a lot of sense about what grace is, or who God is, or how God is doing things to uh, save us, but also just give us a chance for life, but also, like, it just starts to get really confusing, and most of our uh, understanding of God starts to end up way up here, and we lose our sense of, like, experiencing God and replace it with the pursuit of understanding God. And y'all, there are a lot of people with... um, postgraduate degrees in this room, we're really good at thinking about God. Some of us, myself included, have a hard time experiencing God. Am I alone here? I feel like, okay. We talk a lot. We think a lot, we struggle, but it all tends to be to be up here. We, we try to make sense of all the theology that we've been handed by different pastors in different places or conversations that we've had about who God is and what God's doing, or even just trying to make sense of the Trinity and, or trying to make sense like John's been doing a really great job of trying to describe to our kids the, uh, the salvation story that John Wesley had, but it's confusing. We end up with a lot of vocabulary and terminology to learn, right? Like, if you remember, we talked about prevenient grace and justifying grace and sanctifying grace, and we talked about today the idea of assurance, and it becomes, they're really helpful terms, but we end up thinking about God up here without experiencing God here. Uh, which is the, the tension that John sort of named so beautifully. Like, how, how do we have assurance of God? Well, it happens through a warming of the heart. What does that mean? You can only really know when you've had it, right? It's like that feeling when you, uh, like, if you haven't seen, my parents are here now, but if you haven't seen your parents in a long time and you get that, like, first big warm hug, it's all, like, cozy and warm and lovely, Right? Or if you've been in a romantic relationship, that first time you have that hug and it's like, oh my gosh, everything's all a flutter, you know? Like your stomach starts doing flips around and it just is sort of lovely but confusing and wonderful. Do you know the feeling I'm talking about? That like warmth, right? It's hard to describe to someone unless they've also experienced that warmth, right? And I... That, in many ways, is the problem of our Christian theology, is that we try to, with words and terminology, make sense of something that's really about practice and experience. It's about cultivating a relationship. It's about showing up in a way that allows us the space to feel that warmth in our heart that wouldn't necessarily happen accidentally, right? There's a lot that happens in there. 
But then as I'm saying that, there's a part of me that wants to edit all the things that I just said, because it really shouldn't be about what I'm doing. It's about what God does. And so then you start getting into a whole bunch of other debates about, is it me that earns my place at God's table or the love that I get from God, or does God give that freely? And then if I, if I, if it's given to us freely, then what does that mean about uh, the fact that, like, you know, I still do things that I know I shouldn't be doing, you know? And, like, does that mean that God's not present, or does that mean I'm doing it wrong? And you get up back up here, you know? As soon as you have that experience of the presence of God, you start processing it. Am I alone? Man, like, uh, it's so confusing, right? Because our experience of God is meant to be relational. It's meant to be cultivated. It's meant to be fully present, but as soon as you get there, it starts cycling back up into our head to process. And so we'll see something like, um, I actually had a really lovely conversation uh, this week about with someone who said that uh, they were, um, uh, they had this idea of a ministry and they weren't really sure how it was going to come together. It was about cultivating uh, intentional communities as a part of a seminary in North Carolina. And um, she was really struggling, trying to network, figure out how something could come together so that they could have a house, um, all this wonderful stuff. And um, she told a friend that she was really struggling. She was doing everything she could, having all these hard conversations, trying to network, trying to find a house, trying to find space, trying to find people who'd be interested. And this woman just listened well and then said, okay, I'm going to pray about that. And the next day, she came back and said, I, I see your, your house is coming. I see it. You'll have a conversation tomorrow about it. And out of the blue, out of the blue, a woman called this uh, Elaine, called Elaine and said, hey, um, I don't know if you have any need. I know you're connected to the seminary. Do you know any students who may be interested in, uh, we don't need rent, just if they'd be willing to pay utilities while we're not in it for the next couple of years. Um, That'd be great. Right? And then I can almost feel it in the room. We're like, yeah, but is that really like a response to prayer? And if that was, if God responded to that prayer, what does that mean about the other prayers that don't get responded to? And what happens if we, you know what I mean? Like we have this experience of God showing up and then suddenly rather than letting it be, we debate and process it to try to make sense of it so that we either understand the mind of God or can explain it as a weird circumstance that just happened. Man, life is random, you know? We don't let ourselves experience the mystery. We don't let ourselves experience the wonder. We try to overanalyze and process it until God just becomes another topic rather than the one who's holding all of this together, right? So today what we're, we've been for the last couple of weeks talking about our Methodist theology. We've talked about a lot of things leading up to now, but today we're talking about something called the means of grace. Are you familiar with this terminology, the means of grace? 
When John Wesley was a pastor in the 18th century, he was running into a problem. You know, the Reformation was still sort of in swing. People were trying to figure out where they were landing theologically. You had the Church of England that was really resistant to a lot of these more Protestant theologies. And you had these more Protestant theologies really pushing back against the authority and church. And all of that just created this, like, big mush of what church is. And there's a lot of parallels right now because one of the problems that John Wesley saw was that people were getting so frustrated with the church that they were just not interested in going to church anymore because they could trust the love of God outside of church. I have my own personal spirituality. I don't need the communal faith, right? Like, does this sound familiar? I mean, I know half of this room is struggling with that very question. And it's a, it's a good question. Like, if the church is so messed up, why should I spend so much time in it, you know? It's a good question. And John Wesley was trying to struggle through that question, too. He saw a lot of the folks in his generation who were finding their own spiritual life beyond the walls of the church. And he was trying to figure out how to hold community together so that we could learn and grow in the experience of God as a collective body, the way that scripture describes our walk of faith being a communal activity, as opposed to becoming a bunch of individuals who, as we've talked about a lot, who have read scripture who have been present to God, and then suddenly they start to take on the, you know, God starts to sound like your own conscience rather than the other way around. So um, he started thinking about what the historic church has to teach us. And by historic church, I mean like from the book of Acts onwards. And what he saw is that in order for communal faith to grow, there are certain practices that we take on as a body. We commit both individually and and communally to pray. Um, I actually just had a conversation with someone who hopes to join the church the next couple of weeks about this. When When we commit to pray, it means that, like, we'll hold the people before God as often as we talk about them with our friends, right? Like, if you are complaining about someone, or even if you think someone is absolutely amazing, you pray for them in equal measure as you vent about them or talk about them or whatever the case may be. You lift them up to the presence of God. We read scripture together. That's what um, that's what Julie just did for us right now. That's what we're processing together as a community now, although I'm the one talking. So feel free to join in. It's fine. <laughs> We uh, commune together. We do what's called holy conferencing, which really just means we get together and talk about what's happening in our life. The Methodist Church has systematized that in a way that makes it feel very empty, but it's meant to be just that, like what's happening in your life? Where is God present? Where are you struggling? And how can we hold each other in prayer and in life? And then receiving gifts of communion from the table. All of these are means of grace, and what holds them together is they're all avenues through which we can step out of our brain and into our heart. When we pray, we're not supposed to, we're not, there's no supposed to or should here, but when we pray, what happens is all of the thoughts that we have descend from our mind where we're processing them and trying to make sense of them 
to being able to let go of them and allow God to take hold of those concerns that we that we share. We don't need to process them, think about them, interpret them when we're in prayer. We can hold them lightly and allow God to step in. That's what prayer is meant to do. It gives us space to drop all of our thoughts down to an experience of our heart. Scripture is the same way. We're meant to read it meditatively. It's not supposed to be a, what is it, the... Uh, uh, what's the acronym? The basic instruction before leaving Earth? Yeah. Oof. It's not that. It's a collection of a whole bunch of different stories and letters and poems and songs. It's really beautiful. When we read scripture, we get out of that mindset that, like, we're supposed to be receiving instruction so we can do everything right. But instead, we receive the stories of our ancestors and the uh, incredible wisdom that's come through generations so that we can allow that to be a part of who we are. And that's, I mean, we obviously need to process and think about it, but so that it can descend into our heart and our soul. When we receive the holy mystery at the table, we call it the holy mystery because, to be honest, none of us really knows what's happening here. We pray about God showing up in the bread and the juice. We pray about God showing up in the stories that we tell. We remember sacred meals that Jesus shared with his friends. But fundamentally, we don't know. Somehow, just receiving this bread and this juice nourishes us in a way that the meal downstairs doesn't. It's different. It gives us nourishment in a spirit-filled, holy, sacred sort of way. And Explaining it more than that would do it no service. It is a great and holy mystery that we celebrate every week at this table. What's happening? Your guess is as good as mine, but somehow God showed up, right? Like that is the gift of Holy Communion. That, that's what that is. It's not something for us to process and overanalyze it's something for us to experience as a gift right? like that, that's all of the means of grace that can start to sound like a, a to-do list especially if you start reading the way that john wesley categorizes them and thinks about him but he is a product of the enlightenment so he's trying to categorize everything but fundamentally what he's trying to teach us is that God is somehow mysteriously working through all of these practices, and we can't separate them from, we can't do them in isolation. They must be done in community. John Wesley said famously, there is no holiness but social holiness. Our experience of the sacred comes to us through shared community when we offer, when we receive these gifts, these mysterious gifts as a part of a community that can uh, temper some of our need to overanalyze. That's, that's the practice. That's the process. It's why John Wesley was a practical theologian more than he was one that confined his movement to a set of beliefs and principles. Instead, he allowed a pathway forward with a bunch of practices that might hold our community together and one shared conviction in the presence of God through Christ, drawing all of us to the eternal love. That's the only thing that matters. Jesus Christ saving the world from itself. Beyond that, we're called to be together, to pray together, to read scripture together, to receive the gifts of communion together, and walk forward towards what might be God's own kingdom, if only we could get out of our heads. 
So in your prayer life, I hope that you're able to go into that with your community to allow all of the thoughts and analyses and concerns and frustrations to become an expression of your heart so that you too, like beautiful willow and sacred willow, might be able to cry earnestly with what's happening rather than processing it for everybody else to understand better. Maybe all live with full hearts and, uh, and empty minds. That feels like a weird blessing. <laughs> May we allow our minds to settle into our hearts and live earnestly. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org. Thank you.